Ivory Coast. I feel yeah. like they got elephants there. Well, that's their nickname. Oh, yeah, the soccer. Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. I mean. Wait a second. I don't have any snare in my headphones. <laughs> Ty, I have no snare in my headphones. No snare? Well, here we go. Open wide for some soccer. That's right, everybody. We're here at the Sports Experience Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dom DiTolo, with my co-host, Chris Quinn. And we are going to get down on some soccer action on the pitch today. That's right. And this one's uh, one of my personal favorites, one of my all-time favorite players. I feel like that's why I kind of threw this guy in here. But he has quite the uh, story. Talking about Didier Drogba. Didier Yves Drogba Tabili. Yes. Quite the uh, full name. I feel like after you say his name, you should just go, ha, ha, ha. Well, he's from the uh, Ivory Coast, which was populated pretty much by all French colonialists, if yeah, you will. I mean, West Af- uh, West Africa yep. along there uh, on the underside. On the underside, yep, yep. yep. Uh, French-speaking, French for a while, so he has a cool name like this. Exactly. Uh, born March 11th in 78, he was a member of the, the Betty uh, people, which was a collection of Different tribes, different I guess, tribes, all yeah. in these countries. Yeah, didn't go full Hotel Rwanda there, which is good. No, so. no, and this and that'll come back later. Yep. Um, I thought it was interesting. His uh, uncle was a professional soccer player in France, and when he was five, his uncle said, "You know, we should give this kid all the opportunities that he can't get in the Ivory Coast. So bring him along with me and let." let him live with me in France, and it was a mixed bag. It was a, it was a bit of a mixed bag, a little uh, empire coming home for positivity situations. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, he uh, eventually at 12 went to live with his uncle in France, I had read. Yeah, well, I, I think it was interesting because his uncle was a player that was like moved every single year. Yeah. So he pretty much had to move every single year, and then... It came. Well, so this is what it, this is what happened. He moved there when he was five, and then moved back like immediately, or not immediately, but it, like a year later, um, to live with his parents back in the Ivory Coast. Yeah. And then they both lost their jobs when he was about ten, eleven. So then he moved back with his uncle in France when he was a little bit older. Yeah, Michel Goba. Yeah, I read that was his name. And he ends up meeting up with his parents later in France. This is it, it's so interesting because it's a very common immigrant story of departing with your parents and then meeting up with them later when they get more established in what becomes i think it's a ghetto in paris yeah something something to that extent he's like a little soccer hot potato yes well and this is what people said was it stunted his early development and we'll bring it up later when he plays for le mens is he doesn't have this youth training that a lot of people have i i kept reading the phrase late bloomer in yes. regards to him and not necessarily because of his talent but because of how little organized soccer he played growing up almost none yeah which is what his uncle was trying to get him to do when he moved to france the original time but then moving back to ivory coast there was obviously like no organized he said he used him his buddies just used to play out in the street all the time and he used to dominate yeah it was one of those kind of ray for austin situation exactly one of those uh situations and skip to malu so he plays um he finally gets uh it's called like a a youth team tryout and the here i want to say the coach from that youth team said that he had an ability of keeping his fitness. Yeah. 
But I mean, I think that stems from not playing organized soccer or any organized sport whatsoever. So that it's interesting that we kind of disregard that. But like coming up like me and you, we actually not now I'm pretty fat. But back (laughs) in the day, we used to like coming up, we were essentially ready to play any sport because you're playing sports year round almost. Yes. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So you have that overall fitness that he almost didn't have. And he he moves to. Um, I forgot where Layman's is. Um, but he moves there to study accounting. Yeah, I had read that, and I was like, "You son of a bitch!" All so, right. well, he didn't think he had any future in in, in, profe- soccer. in professional soccer. He thought he would be maybe a semi-pro. Maybe. Kind of behind the curve, though. They probably ingrained that into him. Like, exactly. Uh, you don't have enough experience. Exactly. You're not good enough to play. And at this point, he's also getting to that age where people kind of don't want to put. They don't want to take a, a chance on him. He's yeah. N- he's 19. You know, he's kind of He's a little bit wild. older. It's yeah. almost like those uh, Latin American and Caribbean players who very rarely get contracts at like 18, 19 if they're good. Exactly. For baseball. So he starts playing as an intern player at Le Men's, which is pretty much they pay you like nothing. Um, they, they, they they're barely... like a league two club, it said. Yes. And so... I'm assuming that's lower. I'm still coming to grips with how they name these leagues. I wanted but I'm to... assuming it's lower, but. I wanted to bring this up. So in France, it's League One and then the French Division League One. Oh, my God. And then French Division League Two. So technically, this is the third division. And oh I wanted to God. bring this up because I know how confusing it is. <laughs> it is so confusing. And they do it on purpose in France. Um, so he's all the way in the third division, is pretty much making nothing. And this is when the lay men's, this is the quote that I wanted to see, was that it said, it's, he struggled with injury and fitness for about four years. So with the club before and then two years at lay men's, they pretty much said that that's how long it took him to get physically fit. Jeez, four years? That's, that's a long time, dude. Well, he kept getting injured, and then he kept his, his essentially getting to playing fitness just never came around oh wow um so he goes to a different club which was surprising because at lay men's he didn't he didn't really play i think he ended up scoring like five goals yeah so like he didn't score very often he, he barely got to play he was just kind of like a reserve player on like what a third league team exactly or third division team whatever they call it but the this second division team i Dom's just getting angry with it <laughs> uh the second division team saw it's almost like when you see it and i i love the basketball analogy it's almost like when you see someone you're just like well that guy's six eight and has a wingspan of like seven two. Yeah. Let's see what he's gonna become. That's what Drogba was. He was like yeah. six four and he was like I think he's actually six three, but he was like a powerful center forward that could score. And this team came in smartly, paid eighty thousand euros for him. Yeah, well it's like uh going Gwa something. I, I can't pronounce it, it's too French for me. Gwinump. <laughs> Gwinump, yeah. Um and that's when, and this is when he becomes the central focus of their attack. And that's when he kind of displays like, oh shit, this guy is like, could be seriously good. And it said they got him for only like 80,000 pounds, which in terms of soccer is not a lot of money. But it's very common for a, a 
like a third division player yeah. to go to the second division player. Uh -huh. But then we see how good he is, and this is when Marseille come in and they have a, a influx of money, and they're trying to essentially like reinvigorate this club that was once one of the top clubs in France, but yeah. now was kind of mediocre. And they go out and they try and pick up all these young like potentially great players and Drogba immediately becomes their top player. Yeah. They got him for like, I said uh, three and a half million pounds. Yep. They, I, they, I guess saw something that nobody else did. Well, so let me talk about this because right. I'll bring up Jose again. Jose was coach Jose Mourinho. who's yep. going to coach Chelsea. He was coaching FC Porto at the time and wanted them to go and pick him up because he felt like he had, just miles of potential. That's what everybody kept saying about him was it's just all potential. Yeah. And Marseille came in and was just like, well, we'll, we'll try and we have the money essentially to give this a chance. That's awesome though. And he had one of his best seasons with Marseille, um, scoring 19 goals and grabbing the player of the year in, in France. That's pretty impressive, though. I mean, that's really good. Well, just the – and I we kind of alluded to it early, just the non – playing from essentially 12 to 17 or whatever it was yeah. 16 is it, this jump was so big because i'm assuming between 12 and 17 as you can tell who the top soccer players are going to be down the road yeah that, that is just insane well he had a he had a buddy at um i think it was at lay men's the comes back and plays with him uh, maluda mm -hmm. yeah. and maluda said that they were both joking around saying that wouldn't it be cool if we get to the French division two? Like that was their, <laughs> oh, wow, that was their goal. Exactly. Oh, like that's kind of what they thought their quality was. And Drogba, as soon as he essentially was given a chance in these, one of these top clubs, he just dominated. Oh, totally. And then, so he plays one year with Marseille and they retire his Jersey. Yeah. Um, it said he was, uh, uh, Scored five in the UEFA Champions League and six in the UEFA Cup. Yeah. Like, that's – wow. Yeah, that's what I mean. He he had a season that showed that he was great. In this summer – so he plays one year with Marseille. In this summer, Jose Mourinho goes to Chelsea, and he's like – Now I can get him. Now I can get him because Chelsea has – at the time, they were one of the richer clubs. Yeah. Um. So Jose goes in and Marseille smartly puts a high price tag for him, especially for the time, which was $24 million. Yeah, I saw that. And people lit Chelsea and Jose up saying that it was one of the biggest wastes of money. Oh, wow. So before this, um, Roman Abramovich's favorite player was this guy named Andrei Shevchenko. And he was about 30, 31, and he played for AC Milan his almost his whole career. And... As soon as Roman, Roman Abramovich bought Chelsea, he wanted to buy this player. Essentially, like you're playing FIFA or whatever game, and you're like, that's my favorite player. I want to buy him. That's what he did. And AC Milan put a crazy price tag of like $30 million, which at the time was crazy for the top player, and this guy was past his prime. So people thought this was essentially like the same Chelsea just wasting money. Totally. And Jose came in and was just like, no, give us – you know, a couple of years, and then you can kind of talk shit if he's garbage. And then they proceed to win two back-to-back -back titles. I, I read that, yeah. He was pretty dominant um, 
in those seasons. And it was our first championship, the first one in 50 years. In 50 years. And it happened 50 years later. That's why I love it. Exactly it, 50 the, years? Yeah. Oh, wow. So they were, it was 2005 and yeah. then, you know, uh, 55. Uh, I, it, it's the, the timing of Chelsea is pretty, pretty awesome. And he had 16 goals in back-to-back -back seasons. Um, and this is what I want to talk about because some people kind of talk shit on him not having 20-goal seasons um, because he's like the out-and-out -out striker. But yeah. the way that this Chelsea team was built, this 2005 and then 2005-2006 team, um, was all defense. And he pretty much was the man that held up the ball. And I, I haven't seen anybody do it the way he does, which was hold possession until essentially your entire team gets set up. Oh, wow. And he is one of the best players at that and one of the best players at taking defenses out so other people can score. So not essentially assisting, but... But just diverting... Diverting attention. And the tactics as far as like, oh, these people are open because... Because set up this way. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what these, and a lot of people think that these 2004 to 2006 Chelsea teams are one of the best Premier League teams ever with this Man City team and the Arsenal um, Untouchables or whatever. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, I remember them, we talked so. about that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but those are like the three teams that are thought to be, you know, the best. I'm not even going to bring up a Manchester United team because they just are <laughs> annoying. Annoying. Um, so 2006, 2007 season, he goes off, he goes off, but Chelsea actually kind of has a down season. And this is what I find so interesting is the cracks start to show at Chelsea in which the owner starts to not go with the program that the coach wants. So Jose, oh. Jose wants Drogba up the middle and a shit ton of wing play. Yeah. The owner sells a bunch of wing players and doesn't replace them. No. So that's why Drogba pretty much goes off this season because he was one of their only outlets. Yeah. So he, he, he's actually talked about this season and because people were like, oh, that was one of your best seasons. And he was like, no, it wasn't because we ended up losing the title. Like, I really don't give a shit how many goals I score. Well, I yeah, want us to win. You can tell he's a win. team player. Yes. Yeah, because it said he had 33 goals and he won the golden boot, which uh, I believe the first Chelsea player since 84, 85 to score 30 in a season which is pretty impressive. Yeah, he, he actually holds the uh, Chelsea all-time uh, scoring record for a season. Hey, everybody. Just want to take a quick break to uh, let you know that our Sports Experience podcast is brought to you by Engel Studio here, and uh, they're here in Tucson for all your recording needs. The City scored the game-winning goal against uh, Manchester United in the FA Cup final as well. Well, I want to bring this up, too, so I'm going to go back. Because I, I like to go back. I like to go forward. I like to, you know. 2004-2005, <laughs> um, they do the double. Yeah. They win the league. They win the league cup. Yeah. 2005-2006, they do the other double. They win the league. They win the FA Cup. Nice. And it's one of these things where you almost never see it happen like that. This This team that is so dominant yeah and then the next season we see the cracks start to come in and they lose pretty much everything but the fa cup mm -hmm. they, they beat manchester united in the fa cup and then 2007 2008 is when jose leaves oh, okay 
And this is the first time that we see... Yeah, he started to get a little salty at him leaving. Like, apparently he was crying in the locker room. Well, like... it's it's the first time we see him go out publicly against his club. Yeah. So And there was there's never had been a reason for him to, well, essentially. Yeah. I mean, you're winning and you're doing well. Why not? And he said he was like... Um, a lot of people thought he was going to go to Real Madrid. I, I really thought he was going to go to Real Madrid. Uh-huh. But he said it, in tears, it's devastating. Um, Mourinho's departure destroys a certain familiarity we had with the club. Many of us play for the manager, and people were pissed yeah. because it's true for these soccer guys. But like as a fan, you're like, no, you play for the club. But exactly. In this in this era, that's why people kind of don't like Mourinho. Is he almost takes over like loyalty? Yeah, he he takes it away from the club because he's so beloved by his players. Yes. It seems like he and has a lot of kind of personality. The the talk that came out was that Jose called him and was like, "Hey, I don't think you want to move because other clubs won't really know how to use you." So he ends oh, up staying. Okay. Yeah, so like because him and Jose are like really good friends even outside of this. Yeah, and it's, it said he signed a re-signed a four-year contract with them. Yes, so I mean he re-upped. I mean, although it had to be devastating to lose your coach. And yes, friend. And, and yeah, that was the thing was Drogba said that he was like the first coach, like top coach that like really adamantly went out to bring him all the time to his club. Yeah, like he wanted him essentially all the time. Um, so that's you can't have him (laughs) yeah exactly so that's i'm gonna stop right there with the uh club talk and now we're going international international and this is when he kind of breaks that barrier of sports yep and that's why it's so awesome so ivory coast uh what's what's their uh Coupe de la Vie or whatever the Coup d'etat? The, the the French fucking oh the name of the country yeah Cote d'Ivoire I don't know I, I yeah it's Cote d'Ivoire or something like that I don't speak frog I'm sorry um it's the it's the Ivory Coast they don't either they, they speak uh, African French exactly damn it um so 2006 World Cup qualifier the first one they made too the first time they ever made it they win against Sudan yeah and he makes. So, like, I kind of want to talk about the way African games are. Okay. They have problems with riots, and they have problems with stampeding. Stampeding. Oh, I mean, I've heard about soccer riots in Europe, though. No, but but this is different because they they don't have policing there to the the extent. So there's there's problems with various... Uh, essentially that's why stampeding is a problem is because the like shit goes down and people just like freak out so it's like that anchorman fight where it's just like boy that escalated quickly exactly okay and this happens later on um but i'm bringing this up because right after they win they immediately go to the dressing room in which a lot of european after they win they kind of celebrate out on the field that doesn't happen in a lot of Africa because they're just like, all right, let's get the fuck out of here. Let's get the fuck out of here and not die. So they <laughs> they immediately go to the dressing room. Drogba grabs a camera and he has this plea that he does to the Ivory Coast nation. I actually, yep. I've actually wrote it down. This is exactly what he said. Him and a bunch of the players get down on his on the on their knees. This is their golden era. Yeah. Um, Solomon Kalu uh, Kalulu Toure. I know I fucked up his first name. Um, but he was like the Barcelona's central oh, cool. midfielder. Um, so they all get down on their knees and they, he says, we've proven today that the entire population of the Ivory Coast can live together, 
play together with the same goal. Today, we're begging you from our knees. A country with so much wealth cannot lose itself into the darkness in a war like this one. Please put down your weapons and hold elections and everything will improve. Because it was a civil war. It was a civil war that was going on for seven, eight years, I think. Yeah, it'd been a while. And this was... So, like, the fantasy side of it is, like, Drogba stopped the Civil yeah. War. The realistic side was it was he got them to actually put down their weapons to start to negotiate. Yeah, they had, like, a ceasefire. Yes. Yeah. They, they had their first ceasefire, and then it led to the Civil War ending. Yeah. Um, that's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I, when I read about that, I was like, my God. It's one of the probably one of the greatest things that someone outside of soccer did. Yeah. So totally, I think a lot of people like look at Maradona and this is the, the guy I like to equate him to is because in the ivory coast, he's looked at as like more than a man. Yeah. Because he's done so much. Only he's not having orgies with cocaine. Exactly. He actually is one of the most straight-laced home persons. Like, he has a wife yeah, and three so he's kids. Yeah, he's been with his wife forever. Never. Yeah. yeah, no, no. He is, yeah. That's what the, another reason why I absolutely love him. But just to bring it all the way back, he said when he was a kid, his first ever jersey was a Maradona jersey. Oh, that's awesome. Because those, after that 86 World Cup, were just going around. Yeah. So, like, oh yeah. Oh, my God. That's so cool. Because, he, yeah, he would have been, like, eight years old. So, like. Who else's jersey are you going to wear? Exactly. And it, it just kind of comes back because he said going back and you could see video of him going back to the Ivory Coast. It is like pandemonium oh, when, yeah. he, when he shows up. And th- this is something else that he does. And I'll get more into it is he is huge into charity back in the Ivory Coast. Yeah, he's he's way into that. Like he's almost Akon of soccer. Yes. For charity in Africa. Yes. Um, so they make it to the 2006 World Cup. Civil War ends, and then they get essentially the worst draw. So they group get of death. the group yep. of death. And that's what everybody was saying was this Ivory Coast team was so good that if they had gone into a different group, they would have made it out first or second. Wow. Um, they end up getting third in this group because they they go up against Argentina, who we were just referencing. Messi was probably playing for them. They yeah. lose. Yep. It's, this is the Germany World Cup. They oh, lose, yeah. They lose 2-1. Against a really, that was the other thing was like people were saying like those games are really good. They yeah. lose two ones against Argentina and then they lose two one against the Dutch, the oh. Holland, the Netherlands, <laughs> whatever you want to call them. And they I said didn't that, speak the freaky dicky Dutch exactly that these games were so close that Ivory Coast could have went on. They end up beating Serbia and Montenegro before Serbia broke off and Montenegro kind of, broke off. But yeah, yes, you're right. <laughs> um, so there you go. I, I always do that. I always mix those two up, even though I knew that. Um, so their World Cup ends. They go on to 2008 uh, African Cup, and the coach goes out for personal reasons. I think his son had a heart attack or something. Or yep. And Drogba becomes the first player coach. Wow. So he kind of just takes over that role. So he's going Pete Rose without the gambling. There you go. All right, Drogba. He, I was going to say, he's doing all these American athlete stuff without the... the without the horrible things. Exactly. He has all the great things. <laughs> Poster boy for good decisions. And then we go back to Chelsea. Chelsea. Yes. So we're kind of floating around. 2008. A lot of people feel like his... Um, 
so I want to talk about the 2000, uh, the 2006 season where oh, he okay. dominated. A lot of people feel like that was his best season because he won a slew of awards. Yeah. And I brought this up, and he felt like it was one of his not worst seasons, obviously. Yeah, but. no, he's not going to go out there and be like, God, I fucking sucked. Exactly. But it's probably uh, a disappointing for him because they didn't win. He wanted, he felt like the League Cup, because this was the first time he won the African Player of Nations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he also won the uh, Player of the Year for the for the Premier League and then lost to Ronaldo for the overall yeah. Player of the, of the, of the Year. And which is still very good. But he said after winning all of that, he still wanted the Premier League. And that's what Jose said that he loved about him as a player was he was this team, constant team player. Yeah, you always want to win. And then so we get into 2008 season where Chelsea lose to Barca in the in the Champions League. And this is one of the worst refed games. Yeah. Ever. As a Chelsea fan, you can attest to that. Oh, my God. It's it's the worst. Were they and were they were they flashing all those colored cards or just missing shit? Or they what? were missing shit and and missing like there was there was a couple of calls on Chelsea that were just awful. And Drogba after the game essentially hounds the referee and like yells at him like wow. you wouldn't, and this is so rare for it, for almost any professional but like the refereeing was so egregious then it must have been bad if he was criticizing him i mean if if it's so out of character for him yes. it must have been pretty bad yes and that's what everybody was saying so he gets suspended for six champions league games and this is how bad you could tell was the UEFA came out and like lessened it to three because oh. they were like, yeah, we, we understand how bad it was. <laughs> and there was like kind of talks about certain referees wanting Barca to win because of various, like that's, that's kind of what the state was at that point. I'm starting to believe soccer has like the most crooked refereeing. Yes. Of any sport. And like, that's, they're desperately trying to get it out all the time. Um, this one, people are saying like some, some people say it was crooked. Some people say it was just like, a bad day at the office. Yeah, yeah. It, it's hard to it's hard to say. And you can make that argument a lot too. I yep. mean, sometimes just don't see shit. <laughs> yep. Um, 2009-2010 season. Uh, I believe this is when Scolari comes in and pretty much benches him. Yeah. So there's a point where Chelsea keep going through these coaches after Jose and Scolari just does not think he's a good player. So right, and this well, it's kind of the way his formation sets up. He doesn't oh. set up single through the middle. It, it, it's it's it's, it's interesting. Scheme based. It's scheme based, but n- if more it's than your best player, man, you gotta tailor it to him somehow. That's what people were saying. So Scolari actually is out pretty quickly, and Gus Hiddick comes in, and he finds his form under Gus Hiddick. They win the two thousand nine two thousand ten season. Yeah. Um. And this is coming back to the 2010-2011 season. I'm kind of going through this a little bit quick because he, 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 his, uh, his stuff is... I'm trying to not get dredged down in the Chelsea stuff. How about that? Okay. Um, so they win the Champions League and in 2010-2011 for the first time ever with Drogba scoring a goal in the 88th minute to tie it. Yep. And then Drogba... Scoring a goal in the penalty, penalty kicks. The last penalty kick. The last goal, penalty yeah. kick. So to bring it back to the last year, or I think it was two years ago, 
Uh, we lost to, I'm going to say we now. <laughs> we lost to, um, we lost to whoever in penalty kicks and Drogba got out because. Oh, of he cart. was out for arguing with the referee. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, John Terry ended up taking his kick and missing. And this was the, the redemption, essentially. Yeah, lost Champions League to uh, Barcelona. Yeah. Barca. yeah. Yep. Um, that one was awful. That, that was just another one of those that was just. Um, <laughs> so I just want to say he had nine goals in cup finals. Yeah, no, he was a, always a money player. I had read that, and he had the same amount of goals as games played, which as is cup for final soccer. Plays. Yeah, 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 which is ridiculous. Yep. Yeah, no, he was. This is why he was always my favorite. And then this 2009 2010 season in which they won the season, he had 29 goals. She had 15 away goals. Like he, he was a goal scoring machine when they needed him to be, and was a team player when they needed him to be. That, which I think is so cool and speaks to his skill set and unselfishness. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to get out of him. So wins the Champions League, three Premier League titles, I believe three FA Cup titles. Yeah. Um, just pretty much like a storied career. Anybody would want half of these. You exactly, know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so we get into him being one of the first players to move to China. This is where I wanted yep. to get to because it's a little bit of controversy with this shit. Um, there was a little bit of controversy with his move from Marseille to Chelsea, but this was kind of before these mega deals were looked at, were scrutinized. Yeah. So it, they really didn't do anything illegal. They just did kind of some backwater shit, if you will. They went to Shanghai, joined the Chinese so Super League. He goes to Shanghai and plays, I think he plays like 14 games. So he plays with his buddy Anelka, who used to play at Chelsea. Uh-huh. Um, they kind of meet up. And then in the summer... He signs for Galatasaray, yeah, which is a team out of Turkey. Shanghai says, if you sign for Galatasaray, you're void of our contract, uh-huh. and we could sue you. He says that the Shanghai team owe him essentially his entire salary from this last year that they've never paid. Oh, my God. So that's why he was like, well, I'm looking for a new club because you literally have never given me a single paycheck. And he had to have UEFA step in and pretty much nullify it because i think there's a word for that you know where you don't get paid for the work you do shanghai shanghai <laughs> starts with an s though um but this is what people were talking about with the chinese league is they would not play, pay players and then it was hard for them to get repercussions for it yeah or have the players get out yes <laughs> yeah. so drogba essentially gets uefa to step in because he's such a name and gets Galatasaray to step in and be like, hey, we're going to bring him to Galatasaray. Uh-huh. Um, so he leaves China. But he's one of those first giant players that goes to China in this yeah. in this era that's kind of over. But before Oscar and Hulk and all these giant players, that might be another uh, episode is fucking the Chinese trying to they, – they like put billions of dollars into trying to buy these big-ass players <laughs> and then – pretty much shot themselves in the foot they're like all right and now we're just going to do two domestic play or two non-domestic players for each team and everyone's like smart. what yeah i mean for economic purposes it's yes smart. Be- that's because that's- they burned a ton of money and i know that's what the um i don't know if it's for uh economic reasons but i know in the japanese professional baseball league you can only have two non yep japanese players on your team and well they were trying to bi- like in the japanese they were trying to build the overall play uh, yeah yeah exactly um but they just they did it at the worst time we we that's another podcast god damn it chrissy tangents out so go. he goes to galatasaray 
um, faced with a ton of racist chants. This is very... Really? There's racism in soccer? This is very prevalent in Turkey. I can see that. And it's prevalent because they don't do shit. So they don't... Yeah. They're just like, yeah, that's just the way it is. Aren't you black? <laughs> like, that's kind of their... Oh, God. It's the worst. Yeah. They're they're really bad with it. But he actually wins the 2012-2013 uh, League Cup, or the League, the Turkish League um, Cup. The uh, Galatasaray beat their uh, rivals, Fenderbahce, yeah. just to get some names out there. Um, so he is consistently winning for these clubs that he's going to outside of Shanghai. But that was, that doesn't count. Exactly. China doesn't count everyone. He got Shanghai. And then from Galatasaray, he goes back to Chelsea because guess who comes back? Marino or whatever. Yeah. Jose comes back and he's like, why are we not picking up Drogba? He goes out and picks up Drogba for free. um, And pretty much plays him like he wants to play him in a, like a substitute kind of role. Yeah, I mean, because at this point, he's like in his late 30s. Yes. But, you know. With his late start, we see his career going a long ways, but he's he's past his prime at this point. Yeah, yeah. But it's still great for him to reunite because he plays through 2015 for him. Yep. And said in his last game, he was carried off the field. Yeah, it was one of those really special moments for... I imagine for him, I can't imagine what, like I said, with him and Maluda talking about, like, wouldn't it be cool to be in the French division too? Like, then you're in the Premier League, like, oh my God. And he, they were talking about the trajectory was so, like, it was like overnight. Yeah. You know, it was like one minute we were bullshit players and the next minute we're like multi-millionaires. <laughs> um, so he goes to the MLS, plays yep. for the Montreal Impact. Um, he was actually their designated player. Um, just the way the MLS kind of has it, like we were talking about, they okay. have one player that is outside of the salary cap. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's probably to sign bigger names yep. and get people. I mean, upstart sports leagues do that all the time. Yep. So. They, uh, they put it in for David Beckham and then yeah. a bunch of other teams try to do it with players like DDA Drogba. Um, but he was definitely, like we said, he was past this prime and then we see him go to, uh, the USL team, Phoenix Rising. Phoenix, I saw that. He played up in Phoenix. I yeah. wish I would have known about soccer. Yeah. I got and seen him play. I got to see him play one time. Did you really? time. Well, and I wanted to bring this up because he's somebody that I've loved for years yeah. and years, and I've never seen him play, and I got to go up and see him play one game. It's still awesome, man. For the Phoenix Rising. Yeah, exactly. He was actually the first ever player owner in history because he was minority owner of the Phoenix rising. Look at him go uh, it, magic Johnson in and up. There you go. And that's the, that's where I want to end because he was such a great guy. One of my favorite players ever. And on top of it, one of the best uh, humans, totally. I would say to play the sport. You got anything? No, man. I just was looking over his stats to have 104 goals for Chelsea in 226 games. That's amazing for soccer. My only, and this is my only thing about him coming back that second time was his first stint in Chelsea. He had exactly 100 goals. Oh, man, that would have been a and, cool stint. And he came have. back and scored four goals when, when he was essentially a substitute. But, like, it was just one of those cool stats that in that – that dominant Chelsea era, he he just has 100 goals. Hey, everybody, this is just a stock message at the end of every episode. We hope you enjoyed whatever athlete and or team that that episode was about. Just want to say, give us a quick follow on all social media. We have a YouTube channel. 
the Sports Experience Podcast. And we're on Instagram, Totolo Dominic and myself, C. Quinn Comedy. So give us a follow all around. Um, we're always recording right here at Angle Studio. Thank you all very much. <laughs>